together with other believers. We're thankful for those that uh, are joining us online. Thankful for the Fellowship of Saints and help us uh, not to take that for granted. Perhaps maybe one of the things that is good that has come out of the last year is just maybe a hopefully a keener appreciation for fellowship, for the importance of actually being able to connect and be together with other believers and help to put it on our hearts if we are not already there to be making those efforts to be together with others and to connect with those that perhaps uh, even on a regular basis have to be at home and they are homebound or just not able to get out very often and to make connections with them and uh, encourage them where they are. As we look at your word tonight, we ask that you would help us to have clarity in thinking through these things and to appreciate your plan for us. And we thank you for this and amen. So in 2 Thessalonians tonight, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and um, I'm going to go back up and pick up with verse 5, and I want to read this out of the NASB. I don't want to read it out of my margin there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just or righteous for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and us as well, when the Lord Jesus shall re be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified by his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. And to this end, then we pray for you all or pray for you always that our God may count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power in order that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So last week, we were uh, looking in verses 8 and 9 at the return of Christ. This is at the second coming, Christ coming back. And when he comes back, um, it says that he was going to deal with, actually it was just verse 8, excuse me, that he's going to actually give vengeance to those who do not know God. Remember the idea? We have two, two groups that he kind of classifies. They both share something in common, but we looked at these two groups. First group, they don't know God. What did we say about that? Anybody remember? Sorry, say it again. What, what did we say about the group that does not know God? The ones not knowing God. I mean, what? What? They're not believers. Okay. Yeah, and this is this isn't even experiential knowledge. This is just this is just straightforward knowledge. These are people that that when they look at creation and creation is shouting out that there's a God, they don't even want to see it. And so we looked at that verse over in Second Peter chapter three. So we have people out there in the world they don't know God, but then the second group would be people that might claim to know God. They might claim to be religious. Maybe they sit at church with us every week. 
Maybe they sit at church someplace else. Maybe they don't go to church, but maybe they're a person that I, I know of an individual. Uh, my dad has somebody that he shared the gospel with multiple times, and every time he shares the gospel, this person, well, I don't know every time, but several times this person has told my dad, he says, I read my Bible every day. And my dad's, I, and I don't exactly know how that my dad responds, but it's something to affect that may be good, but that's not what it means to be saved. That's not how you get saved is reading your Bible every day. You get saved by believing in Jesus Christ. And so you have people like that that are religious in nature, perhaps, but they do not obey the gospel. So like that individual, they think that being a good person, reading their Bible every day, that's what gets them to heaven. When the scriptures tell us that it's by faith, faith alone. That's the only thing. It's God's grace, faith on our part. That brings us to verse 9. He says, these people then, those that don't know God, these two classifications are all unbelievers, but you kind of have, he's lumping these two classifications. I think this is a very important verse for you to get, to realize there really are two types of unbelievers. Those that, are, that don't really have a clue about God, and those that maybe, shall we say, have a clue, but they just reject it. They think their works are good enough in some way or another. They think going to church and being good and whatever other fill-in-the-blank thing that they might have, they think it's good enough. And I think that's important for us to see that we run into both kinds of people in the world, don't we? In our community, you probably, I, I, I've run into a few people that are the don't-know-God kind of people. Most of the people you run into in our community, they're the, they don't obey the gospel kind of people. They have an inkling of something about God. They, in some way or another, recognize the existence of God. But they do not want to, they don't want to obey the gospel because they want to think that perhaps their works are going to, are in some way going to help. So, Tim, would you say that those who do not obey the gospel are people, that's generally speaking of people who would claim to know Jesus or claim to know God? but they don't, there's no evidence of that? They, they, they're they not actually practicing that out? They're not. No, I, I, I don't think it has to do with their practice so much. When he says not obeying, what does the gospel ask of you? To believe. To believe. So if you don't believe, you are disobeying. So a person may hear the gospel. They may even assent to the gospel. That is, they agree it. Maybe they sit in a church. Our church doesn't do this, but there are lots of churches. Good Churches are good, too, that every Sunday they might say something like the Apostles' Creed. In the Apostles' Creed, it's not bad. It goes over the essence of the gospel. You know, I believe in God. The you know, And so if you've ever been in those kind of churches. But they get, so they assent to it. But they don't believe the promise that they will be forgiven if they believe in Jesus Christ. That's plain and simple. That's the... That's the promise of the gospel. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he died for my sins. I believe he was buried. I believe he rose again. And I am forgiven by believing that. That's it. There is nothing because else to it. his work was sufficient. That's right. Without anything that I do. Right. That's our giving up on yourself is a yeah. step. Yeah. And so we sit here, you know, we... <clears throat> It, it's real easy for us to say, well, you know, if you go to this church, you certainly can't attend this church here and somebody be in that boat. But, you know, you can. There are people that can attend here. In fact, I was, um, I think a phase aunt um, 
when she was here many years ago um, that I don't know how long she was in church here. Oh, well over a year that she'd been attending church here. And comes to church one Sunday and she says, I got saved this week. And she had grown up. She says, I, I agreed with everything that you said. She grew up in a Roman Catholic church family where the things that were in the gospel, they all said that. And then when she came over here to Royal City, she she wasn't going to the, well, I think maybe she went to the Roman Catholic Church for a while, but for but she ended up going to uh, the Mennonite Church over in Warden, and she went there for quite a while. And again, no issues. But it wasn't, it, for her, and it's just, and it's timing, it can be a matter of timing, this can be what it is. But it wasn't until she had sat here for a while that she says every, she goes every week, you would, re, you would review the gospel some point, and every week you were saying, and that's all there is. He did it all. And that, she says, no one had ever told her that. Now, that's not always true. How many of you know that somebody probably did tell them? They just, you know, the listener's off. <laughs> See? So, um, so it wasn't until she'd sat here for a while that all of a sudden uh, Joan was like, he did do it all. There, what else could I do? But... But the thing is, is, and I would just say from, from practical experience and just listening to a lot of different people in different churches, different settings, you don't hear that enough. There's a lot of people that can go to churches just like ours, and they can go away thinking, hey, you know, maybe I, maybe I need to be a good person. Because sometimes we can kind of teach that kind of thing. It comes across. So that's what he means by those that don't obey. They don't. They don't because they don't. They don't just believe. They believe. Believe. I'm putting that in quotes because it's not really believing. They're agreeing is all they're doing, but they really are. Their trust is in their works. Their trust is in their church membership. Their trust is in their baptism. Their trust is in, like I said, fill in the blank, whatever that might be. So that's how they disobey, because they're not. They're not just resting their faith solely on who Jesus Christ is. Does that answer that sufficiently? Yeah. I think so. You think so? Okay. If, if not, go, go ahead and ask and we'll tackle that. And it doesn't have to be right now either. So so he says then with those people. So we got these two groups of people, which, like I said, just going back and reiterating, I think it's important you have those because that, that's what you're going to run into as a Christian. You're going to run into people that are going to fall into one of those two categories. I don't think there's a third. <laughs> okay. But verse 9, which sort then, they, this is very important, they pay a penalty. They pay a penalty. And that word penalty is a word for righteous judgment. There's a righteous verdict that the judge has lowered his gavel and he says, you owe $500. Pay it to the, what did they pay it to the bailiff and you're dismissed. Like that, you're, I've never had that happen to me, but you get, you, if you've ever been in a court where a judge, you have to listen to a judge render a verdict, that's what this is. It's that word. It's a word for a righteous verdict. And they pay a penalty. Their penalty is, what does he say there in the next phrase? Eternal destruction. Eternal destruction. Now, when we talk about eternal destruction, does that mean they cease to be? It does not mean that they cease to be. How would you demonstrate from the word of God that it doesn't mean they cease to be? In Hades, they 
still have communication and they're dead. Okay. That'd be one. Well, the word eternal, doesn't that mean something like it goes on and on? Mm -hmm. So if it was over, it, would, it wouldn't be eternal. I would agree. Does anybody, does anybody, I'm just kind of curious, is anybody familiar enough with this issue that they could give, that they could answer Gary on, on what he just said? See, there are people, there, there are people out there that are going to take Aunt Gary's answer and they're going to say, well, it's eternal destruction because they're thrown into the lake of fire and they suffer for 10 minutes. I don't know. They, they're, they're not going to give you a number. They're going to say they're suffering for a little while and then they're burned up and that's it. They're done and it's eternal. They never come back. They're done forever. That's the way they answer this. Okay. That's the way they answer this. What? We're going to go to the book of Revelation. We're going to go over to the book. No, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 19. This is the second coming in Revelation chapter 19. We looked at this a couple weeks ago where Jesus comes back and he's righteous. And in righteousness, he judges and wars in verse 11. And he deals then, if you look in this... Um, uh, let's see, where do we want to go? Let's go to verse 19. Revelation 19, 19 then. And I saw the beast, that's a ruler, that's a ruler, okay, he's called the beast. And that really goes back to the book of Daniel, because from God's point of view, when he looks at world governments, he basically looks at them as vicious wild animals. That's the way he sees governments. Not just some governments, all governments, okay? That's the way he looks at them. And the beast and the kings of the earth, so there, these are other kings, not the, the head dog in this case. And their armies gathered to make war. I don't know if you remember this, but I tried to point this out a couple weeks ago. My Bible says that Jesus makes war in verse 11, and down here we have make war, but it's different. In verse 11, it's simply a verb form of the word war. Here it actually is the verb poieo, to make or to do, followed by the noun war. And uh, a couple years back when I was teaching through Revelation, that was one of the things I picked up on. I went through the whole book of Revelation. Jesus is never said to poia o war, to make or do war. It simply says he wars. But mankind makes war. It is mankind's fallen nature to war. Whether it's a fall, small war between two siblings in the backyard or whether it's a war between nations. It's war. It's kind of what we're, we're, we're designed to conflict. What is, what is uh, the Old Testament says that man is born to trouble like sparks fly upwards. <laughs> That's the nature of man, fallen man. So they make war, and they're to make war with the one sitting on the horse. That would be the Lord Jesus Christ and with his army. And it says, and the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet. That's his, shall we say, his second in command the one that performed signs before it, by which um, he deceived those that received the mark of the beast and those that worshipped his image. And they were thrown living, so they're not killed, they're thrown living into the lake of fire, burning with sulfur. And then it says in verse 21, and the rest were killed with the sword. 
So these two guys, the beast and the false prophet, they're thrown living in the lake of fire. Everybody else is killed. There's a distinction between their being living in the lake of fire and the rest killed. Everybody agree? There's a difference. Now let's go over to chapter two. Not. Oh, well, okay. You, you have a question here for well, answer. Do you all agree? Yeah, that that we haven't established yet. That that's right. We have not established that. Okay, now we. <laughs> Thank you, Robin. Now we looked at this Sunday morning here in chapter twenty, where we looked at the the issue of a thousand years and how that's handled. And we and I recognize that there is a, a segment of evangelical Christianity that does not accept that these thousand years are a real thousand years. They think it's just it just means any long time. Could be we're, we could be in it right now in one way or another, the way they look at it. Problem with that is, he tells us a thousand years, and he tells us that in this context here. Um, one, two, three, four, five. No, 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 no. Ah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to look through it this Four, way. Four, five, six. Six times. Okay. I was going to have to count through them because I hadn't counted through them today. Six times he tells us in there. Now, you think of six times he tells us at the thousand years, do you think maybe there's a chance it might actually really be 1,000 years? And not just a metaphor for a long time. Okay. So, a thousand years goes by. During that thousand years, Satan is bound. We're not here to teach through all this. We did that on Sunday when we were looking at the at how we interpret the Bible, uh, or how we read it. And so at the end of this, it says, uh, let's go to verse 7. It says, and when the thousand years are completed, Satan is released from his prison. And he goes out to deceive the nations that are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them to war. The number of whom is like the sand of the sea. To me, it's amazing. These people have lived, some of them, maybe for most of that thousand years, some of them probably less, uh, obviously, because there are people born during that thousand years. But they've lived under a perfect environment with the Lord Jesus Christ reigning personally. This is one of the things people say today. If Jesus were sitting on a throne, if I could see him right now, I'd believe him. But you know what? Everybody's going to be able to see him on the throne over the earth every day. And he's going to be coming back and forth to earth throughout the year. So these people are going to see him. They're going to live in this perfect environment. And yet when they're given a chance to follow a deceiver like Satan, there's going to be so many of them that have not believed. They've only towed the line of conduct that it says their number is like the sand of the sea. That means there's a lot, a lot. So he goes on. And they went up over the breadth of the earth, they encircled the camp of the saints, that is the city, the beloved city, and fire came down out of heaven and consumed them. And the devil, the one deceiving them, was thrown into lake fire. Now, this is when he's thrown into lake fire. I listened to somebody online the other day that I liked, but they said Satan's thrown into lake of fire and then he gets taken out of lake of fire. No, he's thrown into Hades, into the abyss, and then comes out. Because Hades is a temporary location. It's thrown, it says, if you just keep reading, it's thrown into lake of fire too. We always think Hades and hell are the same thing. 
but it says he's thrown in the lake of fire, that is uh, uh, the lake of fire of and sulfur, where, notice this, where the beast and the false prophet are. A thousand years later, they're still in the lake of fire. They have not been consumed. They have not been burned up. They are still living in the lake of fire. And notice what it says, and they will be tormented for a little short space of time and then annihilated. No, it says they are tormented day and night, literally in the Greek, into the ages of the ages. A lot of your Bibles are going to say something like forever and ever. Kind of does have that sense to it, doesn't it? Tormented day and night for the into the ages of the ages, where they're there. That that's pretty long term. It's eternal, like Gary was saying. It's an eternal punishment. And the beast and the false prophet are already there. And Satan's there. So you got three of them that are being punished. And if you keep going on down in the context, you're going to have all these other people that are unsaved, that have never believed. They're resurrected and they're cast into also into the lake of fire. They also are going to undergo this torment. I know. It's not a pleasant topic to talk about. But it is something important for us to understand that if we go, does anybody have any questions on that? I already turned away, but we can go back. Okay, so let's go back over to 2 Thessalonians. It says... It's just kind of logical when you see that. I mean, I mean, that they'll be tormented day and night with the ages, the ages. And then you go down to verse 12. And there's a, I mean, we could make quite a case for this. One of the things, I, another verse I'm not going to go to, I'm just going to make reference to it. It's over in Ezekiel 28. And it's talking about the king of Tyre, but the king of Tyre is a foil for, for Satan and what Satan has done. And it says that when Satan is cast down, it says the kings of the earth and the people are going to look at him down there because they're in the same situation he is. And they're going to go, this is the one that brought about all this ruin? This, this one, this high and mighty great being satan everything he portrayed himself to be this is the one and they're all going to stand amazed again i think it's one of those things that's going to make their their punishment in the lake of fire even worse to realize that they followed a deceiver and they're going to stand there and go what 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 were we thinking let's go back to second thessalonians chapter one now so they pay the penalty. The penalty that the judge dictates is eternal destruction. And then we have away from, some of your Bibles are just going to say from, but we've been in the Greek class, we've, looked at, we've learned this preposition, apo, means to be away or separate away from the presence of the Lord and of the glory. What? Verse 9, 2 Thessalonians 1, 9. They are separated away from the presence, or the face. Prosopon actually is, is a word frequently called face, the face. They're separated away from the face of the Lord and from the glory of his strength. 
what do you, one of the things that's going to be torment is they're going to be there and they're going to see, we follow this deceiver. Look at him. He's down here. He's suffering the same fate we are. But what, what's probably going to be the worst torment, would you think, based on verse 9? Separation. Yeah. From? Yeah. We see. I should have. I should have stayed in Revelation twenty because all those people, all these people, are resurrected. All these people that have died, they're resurrected. They're going to stand before the throne. They're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ up there on the throne as He judges, and they're going to get to see Him in His glory as He judges them. And then they're going to be cast away. They're essentially going to hear Him say something to the effect, the words that He mentions in Matthew seven, "Depart from Me." I never knew you. In other words, we had no relationship. So they're separated from him, knowing exactly, seeing what they are separated yeah. from. And then yeah. They're not seeing the Jesus the disciples walked around with on the earth. They're seeing the, they're seeing the Jesus, they're seeing God the Son in all of his glory. They're going to see what you and I are going to be treated to for all of eternity. It's the thing, in my opinion, whatever anybody else thinks is going to be great about heaven, so one thing I, that I, I hope we all agree on, the thing that's going to make it the greatest is that we're going to be able to be in the presence of the Lord always. And that's never going to get boring. I'm kind of a, most of you guys know this, I'm kind of a kid at heart comic book junkie. And you know, whenever they come out with you know, a really good comic book movie and you get those heroes, you're like, oh yeah, you know what happened? One of the last comic book movies that came out, and probably because I didn't sleep well the night before, but I'm sitting in the seat. I think it's I think it was Endgame. We went with Clinton and we were down at we were down in Richland watching this. And I'm sitting there and I'm going. And I'm trying to not not off. I was so tired. Can you imagine that? I was watching. Here's a superhero flick, and these heroes are doing all this stuff, but it's kind of, there's a part of you that's almost like yeah, I've watched these guys exchange blows before. Yeah, I've watched these people fly around. I've watched them shoot laser stuff out of their fingers. It's the same old, same. I mean, you can't, right? People get bored right now. Can you imagine what that's going to be like to never get bored being in the presence of God? It's not going to be a superhero flick. It's not going to be a romance movie. It's not going to be a, a, a comedy it's going to be something that's going to captivate our attention all the time. And those people are briefly going to be in that presence and never get to witness it ever again. And I would, all I could think of is that would be the thing that would eat me up the most, despite all the physical torment that, that they would experience, to mentally know I could have spent all eternity there with him. And this is what I chose. Do you think... I think it'll be it's like just a moment ago a lot more shaking. Yeah, I was, yeah, that's what I, I mean. I think it's more likely than them feeling remorse is look what he did to me. Let's <laughs> because go to, it's not gonna be their fault. Let's it's go to gonna be his fault. <laughs> it's let's go to Philippians two. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. This is talking about Jesus Christ uh, humbling himself, becoming a man, obeying the Father, becoming obedient even unto death. And so it then says, as a result of that, verse 9, 
Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given to him a name above every name, in order that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. The ones that are in heaven, it doesn't say some, though. It doesn't say the righteous knees. It says every knee will bow. The ones that are in heaven and the ones that are in the earth and the ones that are under the earth and every tongue will confess out the Lord Jesus Christ to the glory of the Father. There will not be one person going to the lake of fire that's going to stand there and say this was his fault. That's the thing that God's going to make sure. When they go, they're going to recognize this was their fault, not his. And I think that's really important that the righteous judge, are there people doing time in prisons around us or jail that think they got a raw deal? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's no one going to the lake of fire that's going to think they got a raw deal. Well, is he going to remove their old sin nature? I don't think he's going to remove their old sin nature. They'll still have it. They just are going to actually be able to see everything as it is. So right now, I, I've got friends that I, I try to, you know, we talked about this a little bit the other night at the men's meeting. I'm always trying to encourage Christians, don't get into arguments over politics. Because you know what? Interesting statistic. Did you know that almost every argument over a political issue where you're trying to share information and convince a person of your, your opinion, did you know that almost 100% of those arguments end in nobody changing their mind? I'm not kidding you. They know that statistically. Almost 100% of the people that go through arguments, they come out of the argument with exactly the same opinion they went into it. We're wasting our time, which is why Paul tells us that's what the world system tells you works, but it doesn't, and God says don't do it that way. And that's not politics. Similar, but... And so likewise, when we're, when we're dealing with, with people like this, God's going to make sure all these people actually do have a change of mind. They're all going to recognize. They're all going to recognize that he is exactly who he said he was. And they're going to recognize, I really think, they're all going to recognize they actually had that opportunity to confront the revelation of God, whatever that revelation was, and they rejected it. Whether it's the revelation of seeing God in creation, now that's the God in the rock over here that did that. Rather than, no, there's got to be a bigger God. Remember me? Well, you have the example, um, like when they cast, a, Jesus cast out the gatherings. They know who Jesus is. They right. say, you, you know, you are, is this our time? But they don't, they know who he is. They know what the their destiny is, but they don't quit. No, no, um, they don't. And Satan doesn't either. Yeah, they don't quit yeah. their direction they continue and Let, let's look at one other verse with respect to this um revelation let's go back over to revelation chapter 20 we're at the end of the thousand years we're at everything's been destroyed we come pick up in verse 11 and then i saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it from whose presence or whose face the earth and the heavens flee away. So, as Peter says, the present heavens and earth, they're all gone. God destroys all of this. Okay? And where do, interestingly enough, in the book of Revelation, these unsaved people that have lived through Revelation, what does the, what does the Bible call them? Do you remember the expression that he uses? Heaven and earth are destroyed. Earth. What is the, what does the book of Revelation earth refer to dwellers. these people? What? Earth dwellers. Earth dwellers. In fact, it's uh, in the in the Greek, it's that it's that big word, 
settle down at home, Earth dwellers. <laughs> In other words, they're looking at this world as their home. This is it. What's the song we sing? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through, you know, and which is what Peter says. We are, Peter says, we're travelers and sojourners. This is not our home. But he's going to destroy this. And he says, so there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of the things being written in the books according to their works. Keep that in mind. We have to come back to that in a minute. Because we keep reading. It says, and the sea gave up the dead in them. Death and Hades gave up the dead in them. And they were judged each one according to his works. Again, second time. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That's the second death. The second death, which he talked about in the first part of this chapter, is the lake of fire being separated. Uh, the, that is the, the, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he's cast in the lake of fire. So what's the basis of going to the lake of fire? Their name's not in the book of life. So what does he mean? He says that they were judged out of the things written in the books. Two times. It says to their deeds. In my view, it is they're saying, we did all these good deeds. We should go to heaven. And Jesus is saying, the only deed is my deed, your deeds, because the lake of fire. I, 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 I'm not going to disagree. I, 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 I might have a little different twist on some of that information. Which is kind in there, of but interesting because people who want you to think that you're going to go based on your deeds, if the reality is if you think you're going to go based on your deeds, your destiny is the lake of fire. Yeah. Okay. Keep this in mind. I don't want to come back here. We can. I'm not opposed to it. But I want you to turn to Romans 2. We're off my map here, but that's okay. This is good. Because this is a really good question. It's a good thing for us to understand and to answer. Now, we're going to look at a, we're going to look at a statement here that Paul's going to make. And if you're willing to accept the word of God, you can... You can go, okay, yeah, that's what it says. But the problem is, every one of us knows people that are not believers in Jesus Christ according to Scripture. We know those people. We live around them. They might even be family at times. And so as we're around those people, it's sometimes hard for us to read what he's going to say in this context. So, uh, Romans chapter 2, and it says, let's go to verse, let's go to verse 4. It, well, let's go back to verse 3. I've got to pick up the beginning of the sentence. It says, Or do you reckon this, O man, those that judge others, and yet you are practice, that are practicing these, these things, and doing them, that you're going to escape the judgment of God? In other words, you're doing the same thing you're pointing your finger at them for? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, and the forbearance and long-suffering that you hold them in contempt not knowing that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Now, we, did, we looked at the lake of fire. We looked at this judgment and this punishment. We're looking at it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And sometimes, and I remember a guy that used to attend our church years ago, he'd tell me, Preacher, I think we need a little bit more hellfire and brimstone. People need to hear some hellfire and brimstone. He says, people aren't going to get saved if they don't hear some hellfire and brimstone once in a while. And he'd tell me that when he'd be leaving. And he was from Arkansas, so he, had, he did have a pretty good accent when he'd tell me this. And I'd 
And I, we got to be good enough friends that eventually I told him, I said, I don't think hellfire and brimstone scares people into heaven. That's, there's a certain way of thinking that does that because according to verse four, it's actually the riches of his kindness and his forbearance and his long suffering. It's his kindness that leads people to repentance. It's when the spirit causes them to have a sense of guilt and yet they realize how kind God has been in all that he's done for them. That's what causes them to change their mind and believe, to go from unbelief to believe. Now verse five, but it is according to your, the hardness and your unrepentant heart that you are storing up wrath for yourself in a day of wrath in the unveiling of God's righteous judgment, who will repay to each one according to their works. Now that's the standard. He's repaying to each according to their works. Verse 7. To those who on the one hand, according to patience, or to, uh, literally, it's literally patience that comes from a good work, they are seeking glory, honor, and incorruptibility. Now the problem we have with this verse is, we're taking this, we're just reaching in here and we're taking this verse out of context and we're just reaching, oh, he's looking for himself, glory, honor, and incorruptibility. Well, who isn't looking for that? That's not what he's talking about. If you were reading the book of Romans, like Paul intended you to, like we've been saying on Sundays, read it, read a lot, read all of it. If you're going to read this, you better read the whole book. If you were reading this before you got there, you'd be in chapter one, and in chapter one, you'd find that that glory, honor, and incorruptibility is all about God. They're seeking God's glory, God's honor, and God's incorruptibility. The very thing that he says, unsaved man, undoes all that. They take God, the incorruptible God, and represent him with corruptible creatures. And they take God's honor away and give that honor to creatures. And they do not give God his glory. Okay? So this is those kind of people. Those people that are seeking that. They're really seeking God's glory, honor, and incorruptibility, eternal life. Okay. Thing is, keeping your finger here, turn to chapter 3 for just a moment. We're going to come right back. But just notice what he says in chapter 3. Just in case anybody goes, oh, well, that looks like maybe a person might get saved by works. But notice what he says over here. Verse 10. Well, verse 9, it says, What then? Do we excel in this? Not at all. For we have charged beforehand both Jews and Greeks. All are under sin, as it stands written. There is not a righteous one, not one. There is not a single one that understands. There is none that are seeking God. There, they All of them have turned away. They all have become useless. There is no one that is doing any kindness. There is not even one. Their grave is like an, or their, excuse me, their mouth or throat is like an open grave, and their tongues actually utter deceit and the poison of asps is under their lips their mouth is full of cursing and the bitter and full of bitterness their feet are swift to shed blood they run to ruin and misery in their paths the way of peace they have not known and there is no fear of god before their eyes notice he didn't say some he says none and you go back over and you look at this in the old testament he says i god looked god looked through all the world is there any like this no nope. So go back over here to verse 8, Romans 2, 8. On the other hand, now here's where, here's where we get caught. This is, this is the place where it's tricky. Because this one says, and those who, who literally from selfishness, my, my interlinear puts the word being in there, being selfish, 
and disobeying the truth. Oh, that's kind of similar to 2 Thessalonians 1. They're disobeying the truth. The truth is that God did it all. There's nothing else you could do. They, they don't agree with that. They disobey. But they obey unrighteousness, wrath, and anger. Now, what he's saying, uh, what he, he could have used all kinds of words for people. He could have said, well, that person was drunkard. And that person was a was a, a cheater, cheated on their spouse. And that person was a thief. And that person was a liar. And he could have used all those things. But the interesting thing he uses with these two characteristics is they are selfish. And they disobey the truth. The two things. Number one, what he's saying here, and this is important. This is a hard thing for us to swallow sometimes. If this were not in the word of God, I, I don't know that I would ever figure this out. But when you watch unsaved people on the world around us do good things, and my wife and I have been, I had to see if she was still over there. She was hiding behind Gary and Leslie. Um, I've watched, I, we have been the recipient of unsaved people that have done some kind things for my wife and I. And we've been appreciative of it, and we've been thankful. We don't look at them and go, well, you guys are sinners, and you're going to hell. Thanks for the gift. <laughs> but you do know what I know? You do know what Paul is saying here? Is that even when they're doing it, they're acting out of selfishness. They're acting out of selfishness. And I and I always I always have to pick on this one situation because it to me it just and I'm not saying not not they're not always this vivid. But when um, Ben and Lindsay, when the outside of their house was painting. I was painting, I'd moved around the north side, and I'm painting up there, and Michelle Miller is painting up there, and there's another gal that's up there. I had never actually had Michelle Miller share her testimony. I didn't know. I, I, you know, I gave her the benefit of the doubt that she was a Christian from the little bit of talking with her, so, so I kind of wanted to hear her testimony. So I asked her while we're up there. I'm up on the ladder painting, she's down here painting, and this other gal's over here. And I'm also thinking this might be a good opportunity because this gal is part of a church that doesn't proclaim the gospel. I know that. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, well, maybe this will be an opportunity for this person to, to share, to, to hear this. And so Michelle's going through and she's, she's sharing, the, sharing her testimony. She shares the gospel. I'm thinking, oh, yes, this is so cool. I'm getting to hear it. And this gal's getting to hear it. And then as the conversation continues to unfold, eventually this, this gal goes, she goes, she goes, I'm really, I'm really glad, and I, I, I'm putting words in her mouth because I can't remember exactly how it came out, but it was really something very much to the effect, I'm so glad that we can do good works. It's always good that God, that God, that we're doing good works that are helping us with God or something to that effect, you know, like helping us get saved or, she didn't use that language because I don't think that's their lingo, but uh, she's doing that. And I'm just kind of like, Michelle was just saying that it was by faith alone. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that, that's true. But we should still be doing good works. <laughs> you know, so she, part of a, part of a church that, that you, don't, you don't disagree. <laughs> but you know that's not really where she is. And that's a good illustration because she just, I mean, and I'm not in any way representing the way it came out of her mouth. I was just, it was just to me that when she said those words, it was like <clears throat> listening to this verse. She's out here painting to help Ben and Lindsay with their house. But there's also an ulterior motive. She's thinking this is helping her be righteous with God. And I'm, like I said, this has been enough years. But how many, how many years ago have you been in the house? 
10? Okay, see, so it'd be that long ago. And so I don't remember precisely how she stated it, but it was just so blatant that I was just like, it just about made me fall off the ladder. I mean, that's a figure of speech, obviously. But that's, but, but that's the nature. Not, every, not everybody opens their mouth and says that. Not everybody opens their mouth and says it. But what Paul is telling you here is unsaved people, when they're doing good works, the one thing you can be guaranteed of is they're doing those good works out of selfishness. They're not doing those out of pure love for other people. Now, do sometimes we as believers do good works out of selfishness? Yeah, yeah, we do the same thing. But he says that that's their nature. And they do that also in the context that they're disobeying the truth. Now, why are we over here? Because we're trying to answer that question. Which question? We're trying to answer the question, do these people, when they go to the lake of fire, do they go there cursing God every step of the way and thinking, this is not fair, I'm getting a raw deal? I don't think so. One of the things he does when he judges them out of their works is he demonstrates that their works, as noble and great as they thought their works may be, this is all the holes in their works. This is all the problems. This is all the flaws. You weren't doing this out of love. You were doing this to try to prove something to somebody. You weren't doing this out of love. You were doing this to try to earn something. You were, and so on and so forth. So yeah, he knows the end. He knows Yeah, he knows the heart. Here's what you, here's what looks good on the outside, but this is what you're thinking. This is what you're doing. And they, they can't stand there and go, oh. That's right. So he's the, he, that's why he's the judge and we're not, because all I can see is the work. All I, I, all I can see. I can't see their heart. But Jesus Christ, according to the book of Revelation, he's the knower of the hearts. Literally, it's the knower of the kidneys, but that doesn't make any sense to us. <laughs> Josh, let's talk about that. Daryl. Okay, you're talking about somebody's profession to be, professing to be a believer, but about a person that doesn't believe, and he's just doing it to help somebody. And I, and I would say even, even an unbeliever that's, that's I'd still say that there there tends to be a selfish motive based on what on what he says here about the way mankind operates. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm just I'm just going based on what he says here. Is he says that that's the way the unsaved person operates? Is that they operate out of selfishness? There's never, from God's point of view, there's never an absolute pure motive. They think that there's something they walk away with. It, maybe maybe we just feel better about ourselves sometimes. We just feel better because we did that. But the importance of understanding this is, is to understand, okay, I may not have convinced anybody about, about what, I'm, what we're trying to say, but back there in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, going back, getting back to our main point, when these people face this destruction away from the presence of his glory, they've had this opportunity to be in the presence of God. They've had the opportunity to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and and it's going to be something. I think that they're I think they're going to be able to appreciate. It. What did Peter or what did Paul say there? They're going to bow their knee and they're going to confess out exactly who he is. And I don't think it's like a king, in or somebody today holding a gun to the same saying, "Hey, say that my God is the right God." No, that's not what it is. They're just going to be in His presence, and in His presence, they're going to acknowledge exactly who He is. They're going to see it, and they're going to acknowledge it. Does everybody get that? Would it be fair to say that they also will see exactly who they are? I think so. I think that's exactly the point of this. So that's why we were over there in Romans chapter 2. 
See, I think you can go through life and you can kid yourself into thinking my motives are good. And he's going to show you your motives are flawed. Well, and even which if, Jesus has never worked. Even if you had good motives, if they weren't if they weren't right from from this perspective, from the world's perspective, we can look at all kinds of things and say that was right and that sure. was good and all of that. But if if it doesn't line up with what Jesus says is right and good, then it still is not. Yeah. Well, you kind of go back to the John 15 passage where it says, I'm the vine, you're the bread, you abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter what the deed is. If it's outside of Jesus Christ, it doesn't measure up. It doesn't, yeah. Um, do you think it's possible that they could recognize from... I mean, I can, people who go to court, you know, the people that are in prison and right. they always have an excuse. Right. Well, they might at one point say, uh, yeah, I was wrong. But usually, just a little bit later, they start blaming someone else. Right. Unless they get into that old same ninja, I just can't imagine them keeping... <laughs> So anyway, but, um, go ahead. The first, it seems like the first um, example, a really good example, you see of man looks on the outside, yeah. but God looks at the heart. That was Solomon, not Solomon. David. David. But who was, who it was Samuel. Samuel trying to figure out who that. Yeah. 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 And it's like I said, the illustration I used of, of the person helping paint out their Ben Lins, I mean, I had nothing against that person. I mean, I've talked with her. She's very nice. If she hadn't uttered those words, I probably wouldn't think of that example. But it's just because she blurted that out that I was just kind of like, wow, it just kind of bowled me over. And it made me think of this verse that at the heart, that's the nature of the way unsaved men work from God's point of view. And they're going to stand there, and so he says they're, they pay a penalty, and their penalty is being is destruction. And I didn't talk about this with destruction, but the part of the background of this word word destruction in here, and it does can just mean destruction. But having looked at this at other times in other places, the, the idea of the destruction that they undergo is they never become what God intended them to be. God planned for us to be something very different than we are. And they never reach that. They're never going to reach what God actually planned for us to be. You and I, on the other hand, we're going to get to see what God actually planned for us to be. We're going to get to see that in ourselves. And I think that's something that is pretty exciting to look forward to. Yeah, I want to... I think we'll stop. I really want to grab verse 10 and just tie part of verse 10 into what we're going. Because uh, let me just say this about verse 10. This happens whenever he comes to be glorified by his saints. And we're going to have to come back and pick this up and move into this. But part of it is, see, we're going to be what he intended us to be. So because of that, he's going to be glorified by our being what he intended us to be. So while they're being judged, you and I are being exactly what God wanted us to be. 
And he's going to be glorified by that. He's going to show his reputation by, you could have been this. In fact, going back earlier in the book of Revelation, back in chapter 3, we are standing with Christ when he's judging these people down below. And they're going to look up and they're going to see us up there with him. And they're going to realize as, in fact, um, hey, there's another one of those statements. Go over to Revelation 3. I don't keep hammering on this thing, but that just occurs to me. I hadn't even thought of that with this. Um, let me find the statement. Revelation chapter 3. Um, verse 9. It's talking about these people um, that... Um, the way, the way, behold, I will make some from the synagogue of Satan, the ones that say they are Jews and they are not. And the reason he says some of them is because some of the people in the synagogue of Satan are real believers. They've gotten in that. But a lot of them in that synagogue of Satan are, un, are, are unbelievers. That is, and we're not going to hear build a case for that, not at this hour, what, what he's talking about. There's a whole thing about understanding what he's talking about. But declaring themselves to Jews. So some of them are going to come out but they're not, they lie. Behold, I'm going to make them come and they will worship before your feet. doesn't say they're going to worship you. They're going to worship before your feet and they will know that I loved you. In other words, we're standing with Christ while he sits on the throne and judges them and they're going to be down here being judged and they look up and they see us up there with him and they, what does it say they do? They worship. They're going to actually worship before his feet. Those people are going to acknowledge. They're really going to acknowledge who he is. They're going to worship before his feet. And they're going to look at us and say, he loved them. And it kind of makes me wonder, this is just an aside. Are they going to maybe recognize like a verse like we popularly say, John 3.16, that God actually loved the whole world, which meant that he actually showed love to them by sending the sun down here? And they're going to see that they did not get to enjoy the benefit of that love because they didn't believe you and I, on the other hand, that love has been extended beyond the cross into our salvation in the present and our salvation in the future. For them, the love was demonstrated at the cross. Anyway, so it's another another statement here about that those people, they do worship. They worship before, before his feet. And they're going to recognize something about him and about you and I. Okay. And, and is there anybody in here that when you read this, you kind of go, this is kind of a bummer Bible study a little bit. You ever feel like that? There's a part of me that when I read this stuff, there's a kind of, you kind of go, this is kind of a bummer. But I'm going to say this. Since, what? Sometimes I do that with everybody. It's like, man, really? Why? But I just want to put this in perspective of, of how this book started off. That these believers were going through intense persecution and trouble from these people that were unbelievers. And Paul's trying to encourage them, saying, you know what? They are going to get what's coming to them. They have rejected Jesus Christ. That's why they're doing this. They're not doing this to you just because they hate you. They're doing this because you are mine. And they hate you because you're mine. And he said that at the end of John 15. He says, if they hated me, they'll hate you. 
and he's just telling us that they're going to get this. And it was it was something that he's sharing with them to encourage them that God is going to make things right. And I know some of us are sometimes going, yeah, you don't have to make it right. That's okay. Just just smooth it all over. But God says, no, he, he, he is going to make it right. Because he never acts unrighteous. He's righteous in all his ways. And I think it's important for us to appreciate that. Any other comments or questions at the close? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. It's going to pick this up more. That's right. I, I don't know how many of you are reading through this book, but I'm trying to read. I should read through it every day, but I don't. But I try to get read through it a couple, couple, two or three times a week. And I was reading back through the Thessalonians. Say, so when Carol says that, I was like, yeah, you just going jump to jump into chapter 2 and you're going to come across some of these problems again. And he's going to hammer again home why why they're the recipients of that. He's going to say why they get it. You know, so. Only in Jesus Christ. <laughs> Okay.